Many of you have asked me why I don't generally have a party in my pants over Toyota. That's next. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au, the place where Australian new car buyers save thousands off their next new cars. Hit me up on the website for that. Nero famously reached for the violin as Rome burned, and Toyota, the world's leading manufacturer of dead, boring vehicles, is succumbing to its own bullshit in a scary parallel. Perhaps it's time for central casting to cue George Orwell, because the company no longer even calls people who buy its products customers. Our guests know that Toyota will look after them and the overwhelming feedback we get on a recall of any major proportion is largely a big thank you from our guests for acting so quickly on an issue. Sean Hanley there, Toyota behavioural apologist and sales and marketing wonk. He's towing the company line there in respect of a recall requiring the replacement of new Toyota Corolla transmissions earlier this year. He was speaking to Bruce Newton from Australia's least relevant online automotive editorial outlet, motoring.com.au. Our guests, you epic bullshitter. Well done. Hashtag respect. Allow me to retort, however. Should I buy something from you, I am not a guest. I am a customer. Legislation is ushered in to confirm my commercial status. If, however, I am merely invited to your house for dinner, and perhaps also to sleep with your sister, then I am a guest. I'd suggest they're completely different things. I have more rights and fewer frigging obligations as a customer. There's less trust. You will shove a friggin' contract under my snout if I buy a Toyota, I'm fairly sure, and nothing screams I don't really trust you like a contract. Should your sister do that, hand me a pre-copulation agreement in lieu of some, I don't know, foreplay, I'd probably just go home and watch porn. Perhaps I'm just tragically romantic like that. So, I will not be downgraded to guest by Toyota because of some retarded social justice bullshit initiative. I'll remain here in business class and be a customer, if that's okay with you. You might think this stuff does not matter. Au contraire. Because bullshit is so insidious, it begets more bullshit exponentially, and before you know it, the sky above is eclipsed by a big brown bullshit tsunami. Welcome to Toyota, fellow guests. Toyota spent recent years stonewalling on the issue of the DPF design fiasco in 2.8 diesel Hilux, Fortuna and Prado. We all know this. Apparently selling those vehicles to fake guests, knowing all about the defect and failing to disclose for four long years, allegedly. If true, that is a breach of Australian consumer law, at least as I interpret it. But to be fair, I'm no lawyer, thankfully. Toyota sicked its asshole in-house lawyers onto a comparatively anorexic business 
Berrimadiesel for the venial sin of conveying negativity towards them on Facebook. A typically malignant, non-specific asshole corporate lawyer empty threat. I have seen a few of those, oddly enough. Appropriate response, F right off. Customers, sorry, guests, are having their unbreakable Hiluxes break all over the former convict paradise we love so much, wide and brown and girt by friggin' sea, and Toyota's response is reenacting the Emperor's new friggin' clothes. This is how the cake of bullshit gets baked. The bullshit, absolutely an urgent priority. Whereas, glaciers advance faster than the fix for the friggin' DPF issue. You are forced to return to the dealer, like, remember me? I'm a fake fucking guest, like 27 times in the service department before they will actually get off their asses and install a manual DPF burn-off switch, which is perhaps the most underdone engineering band-aid that I have ever seen. And I really don't see how this in any way addresses the fundamental underlying hardware deficiency. It tells me that Toyota wants your money, but support is actually optional. Bullshitting about support, certainly a priority. Actual support, not so much. And that is a real shame. It's kind of the core problem here, okay? A Sydney woman told the ABC she was threatened with a fine of two grand by the New South Wales Environment Protection Authority over alleged excessive smoke from her 2015 Hilux. She said, I called Toyota and tried to get in for a service and I couldn't get an appointment that's suited within the EPA's time frame. I cannot speak for you, of course, but this would not make me feel like a valued fake guest, I would probably feel betrayed as a customer, especially given Toyota's strong bullshit position on reliability and support. And if I do not get my promised reliability, at the very least, I would expect that support to arrive post-haste on a Black Hawk helicopter with 10 serious dudes dressed in Nomex and carrying M4s, just in case. It would displeased me immensely if said support were not actually forthcoming. I'm just funny like that. How else do you explain it? Right across our increasingly dysfunctional country, you know, drivers of vehicles are the people who remain legally accountable for excessive exhaust smoke. Morally, I think we all know who's really responsible. This disparity in the rules fails to surprise me even a little, given that legislation such as this is ratified by useless asshole lawyers with no life experience, or as you probably call them colloquially, politicians. Bannister Law is running the class action against Toyota for its alleged DPF inaction. The big T says, don't worry, it's all fixed now. Gotta keep shifting those new Toyotas, right? Through all our learnings of previous generation diesel technology, we believe that with the new vehicles and the manual burn-off switch, the communication with our customers, what DPF represents, how it works, what to look for, the support that we provide, we believe 
it is fixed. Sean Hanley again talking to journalist Matt Campbell from Cars Guide. If I were running Toyota, I would A, kill myself, and B, change the nature of this bullshit narrative at the very least. I would not permit a spokesman to use the word learnings. For example, Jesus. Crimes such as this against literature should be punishable by death. I mean, if there was any fairness in life, that is the bare minimum I would accept. More importantly, how the fuck is this a belief issue, I ask you? We believe it is fixed. You Toyota assholes, there is no epistemic dimension to fixing a design deficiency. It's not a matter of belief. There's no faith-based component to making DPFs reliable. Either they're fixed or they're friggin' not. It's an entirely ontological proposition, you corporate softcocks. Look, if you don't get this, here's an example, okay? I can go to Memphis and check into a Motel 6, head down to a drugstore, buy some Oreos and a fifth of bourbon. Yes, I can take it back to my suite and believe that I'm consuming the body and the blood of Elvis friggin' Presley. And I am allowed to believe that. I can even tell you I believe it, and you might well believe that I believe that I am chowing down and chugging on Elvis. Yes. It doesn't mean I actually am doing those things, of course, and the balance of probability suggests that I'm functionally insane if I really do believe that I am. But as beliefs go, it's not actually that far-fetched. I mean, just change a few details and I'm merely a Catholic. That's belief, okay? DPF resolutions, get it right, either exist or they don't. That's not funny. I don't even think I'll stop and put that in the blooper reel. So, the conclusion that I draw from this official state is Toyota's shot callers are either not especially big thinkers, or they are, and this is an especially shifty sounding and clever thing to say. It's clever because beliefs are disposable. You can bin them at any time, right? Ontological facts are far less easily consigned to the trash. If you say it's fixed and it's not, you all look like dicks. If you just believe it's fixed and it's not, all you have to do is change your beliefs and get back to bullshitting. DPF disaster is inherently fun to watch from the sidelines. Not so much if it's happening in your driveway, of course, but it's not the only disaster affecting this engine, which is all too easily dusted as well. Dusted being a euphemism for the incursion of dust past the air filter where it enjoys rough prison intercourse with the mass airflow sensor and forces the vehicle into limp mode, which is just as much fun as it sounds, especially, you know, out there. This happens in the outback, because that's where the dust is, and often quite a long way from support. The mouthpiece says only 0.2% of 170,000-ish vehicles have been dusted in this way. That's about, let's call it, 350 vehicles. Now, I have had fun, and this does not sound like that. Mr. Hanley went on to explain if that's the right word to Toby Hagen at Drive, I mean 
car advice that this dusting business happens only in quote-unquote extreme conditions. As if this is in some way acceptable. Oh, it's only extreme conditions. But, dear guest, it was extremely dusty at the time. You said so yourself. What did you expect? Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks, mate. Please, is that the nature of conversations at dealerships? Really? Have we stooped to that? Perhaps we should not forget we're talking about filtering dust from air in a frigging pipe. That's hardly, you know, the quest to confirm definitively at Fermilab whether space and time are actually quantizable things. It's kind of up the other end of the spectrum, I'd suggest. Dust is fairly easy to arrange. Air filter integrity is pretty easy to test. The fact that dust gets past 0.2% of Hilux air filters is a design disgrace. The actual defect rate is, of course, much higher than that because many Hiluxes are never tested by entering extremely dusty environments. But even if it is just 0.2%, think about it like this. If we put you and 999 other people on a football field and turn on the lights and then the PA says... Don't worry, the sniper up there in the stands is only going to shoot two of you dead. Would you suddenly wish you were somewhere else? Or 0.2%? I think I would. I'd want to be elsewhere. If we think and believe there's any risk, we would initiate an immediate recall. Well, I'm very sorry, but that too just seems like epically convenient bullshit. Of course there's a friggin' risk. What undertaking lacks, quote-unquote, any risk. And this belief business, we've done that, okay? Please, try having more respect for the audience. Not everyone who reads Toyota's position on this is borderline brain dead. Even in Australia, they're just not. And P.S., it's not just about risk and safety. There's a consumer law dimension to these defects that you dicks are apparently just not addressing. And unfortunately, it seems journalists no longer have the smarts and or the stones to call you out on it. How about this instead, okay? When you're talking to a journalist about sensitive issues, you're really talking to your fake frigging guests and prospective fake guests. So let's make accurate statements instead, which reflect known facts and positive actions that you are taking to resolve the problems experienced by said fake fucking guests. Now, if you're a journalist and I'm looking at you, dudes quoted here, how about asking some pointed, hard questions instead of just hoovering it all up and regurgitating this indefensible corporate bullshit? I'd respectfully suggest you guys have a primary responsibility to your audiences, regardless of whether or not Toyota is a red-hot advertiser. I'd further suggest that valid criticism is exactly that. It's valid. You're following a line of inquiry. I mean, none of you tricked Mr. Hanley into making some unintended admission in any of your interviews. Hopefully this allows you to see how sick motoring journalism is 
in shitsville. Corporate bullshit is bad, but it's actually the motoring media outlets giving this bullshit a platform unfiltered. They're the ones oxygenating this crap and inflicting it upon you. I have no personal criticism of Sean Hanley. I mean, he's just a cog in a wheel, right? He's doing what he's told, expressing the position of his employer, and I have no reason to doubt that he's doing anything other than faithfully relaying Toyota's position. In that sense, his hands are tied and he's kind of beyond reproach personally. Like, here's the position and never mind that we all know we're playing this retarded game of bullshit twister. None of these interviews was a bounce either. They're all from press conferences and official media events. These corporate wonks and the communications teams, right, they prepare answers for all of this crap that's likely to come up internally. Toyota's goodwill at least as far as I can tell. It's in flames, and I don't know if anyone there realises it, but certainly it seems that nobody is yet reaching for the extinguisher. All they have to do is admit the problems, address them quickly, and be honest to the public. It doesn't sound that hard, but perversely, it is. The worst thing about Toyota's bullshit is that they've apparently started to believe it internally, perhaps because it's more compelling and certainly more palatable than the facts, which are that their engineering integrity and internal validation processes are slipping badly. If you've ever wondered why I don't sit here and channel my inner Scotty Kilner gushing about Toyota, this is it. Like a lot of Japanese car makers, Toyota's best years are behind them. And maybe it's just like a marathon, right? It's hard to push, to really push, when you're already out in front. Perhaps in the 21st century, believing you're providing reliability and support is more important than actually providing it. It's like George Orwell with the use-by date expired by 35 years. I'd be very interested to know what you think about that. Is the big T standing on the edge and do you think it'll slip? I say yes, it's already happening. Let me know what you think in the comments feed below. 